You're listening to The Big Show with Russick and Rose on the official home of your Calgary Flames, Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Hour number two. It's The Big Show, Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960. Kim's the first girl I kiss. <laughs> Live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. Nickelback to me is like the CFL. Like a lot of people, like they just rip on it, but they still watch it and or yeah. listen to it. Oh yeah, and they like crank it up. Yeah, hit the back door on my bedroom floor. It's yeah, I get very very polarizing band, the Nickelback. Yeah. Very polarizing. They played uh, a CFL halftime such a show, great cup halftime such show. Such a good meme. Yeah, oh, yeah. Look at look the, at this graph. Look at this. Look at this gra- yeah, it's a great meme. <laughs> look at this graph. Um, bottom of the hour, Justin Bourne, <laughs> NHL on Sportsnet, Real Kipper and Bourne will join us. Um, tee up the Flames and Coyotes tonight from Mullet Arena. The broad the pregame show gets going pretty much after our show, or maybe after Blair and Barker, and then it gets going. Um, lots to do this morning. Uh, J Mac, Julian McKenzie. Covers the Flames for the Athletic at 8 o'clock. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson-Smith on the Blue Jays and the WBC at 8.45. Um, our technical director, Alex Brody, on his game today, although he's probably a little hungover. He's on his game today. Mm. Um, putting the old nickel back. Because last night um, was the Junos. Yeah. So Alex was getting turned up. Yeah. Uh, the Junos. Celebrating uh, the best in Canadian music, yes. maybe. Uh, full disclosure, I did not watch one second of the Junos. I was on a plane, or I definitely would have. Yeah. I thought they were Sunday. Wink. Yeah. <laughs> because let's have them opposite the Oscars. Probably yeah, not the right? best idea. Right? Yeah. So You know um, what I love is award shows back-to-back days. Yeah. Woo! Punch um, me in the face. Uh, Connor McDavid was at the Junos last night. Congrats to Connor. And uh, Connor McDavid, apparently, uh-huh. big fan of the Nickelback. Oh. Because uh, they were inducted into the Junos Hall of Fame. I don't know. Is there such a thing? Sure. Uh, Canadian Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Okay, there you go. That seems so more legit. So Connor McDavid yeah. came out yesterday and had this to say. Nickelback has brought my family and friends a lot of great memories over the years and kept a lot of neighbors up in the process. Hail. Tonight, it's my honor and privilege to introduce to you the pride of Alberta, Nickelback. There we go. <laughs> uh, Connor McDavid, again, he was a little nervous on the mic, which is fine because mm-hmm. he's really good at hockey. So he doesn't have to be great on the mic. Yep. So we wanted to ask you on the text line um, Connor McDavid loves Nickelback like I love blank. Connor McDavid <laughs> loves Nickelback. Like, I love blank. Nickelback. Yep, 960, 960. <laughs> Name and location. <laughs> Nickelback. 960, 960. So, so excited. Yeah, he is. Nickelback. He's really pumped up for Nickelback. Connor McDavid loves Nickelback. Like, I love blank. 960, 960. Name and location. I think we'll do that at 830. I think we'll uh, grab our man, Texty McTexterson, read some text messages. Connor McDavid loves Nickelback. Like, I love blank, 960-960. Um, Flames game night tonight in, in Arizona. Um, <laughs> I uh, 15 games left in the Flames season. I like the part where he talked about keeping his neighbors up, yeah, too. Yeah, it was really it good. Was good. And then, a and lot then, of great memories over the years Yeah, and kept a lot of neighbors up in the process. You yeah, think Chad, McDavid's listening to Nickelback in Toronto? Yeah. I doubt that. Yeah, he probably was. Um, right. Connor McDavid seems like a Nickelback fan, and I'm not – I don't want to – cast aspersions i just feel like yeah he probably does like nickelback um 
Nickelback. And Chad was just like, he was really chuckling at the keep the neighbors up. <laughs> Thanks, Connor. <laughs> We're such a rock band. Yeah. What would you put? Burn it down? I wish, Maybe he was, I wish he was still married to Avril Lavigne. Mm. That was such a Canadian power couple to me. So, it's too bad she got replaced by a body double. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Listen to that one song and all the details are in it. I'll tell you. Um, Get to the flames, idiots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Alex. Alex, you should Alex. Alex, you should get you should get really drunk the night before before every show. I don't think you've ever been this much on your game. Uh, oh I'm feeling like today. what is happening today? Like yesterday you couldn't answer like this number is after six and before eight. You couldn't do that. But today you're like razor sharp. I don't know what it is, George. No, it's because you're hungover. Maybe I think McDonald's. that's the key. The McDonald's Maddie brought to us. <laughs> okay. Oh, my goodness. I think the McDonald's and the uh, being hungover is just the magic elixir for uh, Alex Brody, who's Man. on the top of his game. That was so uh, perfect. It was. It was perfect. Flames and Coyotes tonight <laughs> at uh, 8 o'clock Calgary time. Uh, I've said it. Um, 11 wins in the last 15. I feel like we should have like a part of this studio here on the wall like we're in prison. Like a ticker? Yeah, and we like kind of like mark it down with a piece of chalk. And, and so did we get like a big knife? Warren, I need a new cell. And like go like, <sighs> when they need 11 out of the next 15? Mm-hmm. Like is that, sure, that's almost impossible because that's what, like an 800 winning percentage? Yeah. Off the top of my head. But 11 out of the next 15, is that even it's remotely like possible for the Flames? Yeah, I think it is when you look at their opponents. You obviously can't be giving away games to yes, the Coyotes. 733 winning percentage. Yeah, it's it's, it's up there okay. for sure. Uh, it's closer to 700 than it is to 800, which seems less daunting, but at the same time, still extremely daunting. Um, I'm not too worried about the Nashville Predators. He's listening. The Preds have games in hand, but they also have the same amount of time to play all those games as everybody else, and they've got one of the hardest schedules in the entire NHL remaining, yep. and they've traded away plenty of their good players, and they're banged up. I expect the Predators to drop out of this at some but point. But they still have three games in hand on the Flames. But they're still kicking around, yep. and they still got those three games in hand. You've got you know the Kraken losing yesterday. you got the Jets still hanging around uh, after the Avalanche jumped them yesterday with another big win. It feels like the Flames have been getting medium help on the out-of-town scoreboard. Mm. Yeah. Maybe less than more, um, especially recently. There was a couple of days there where things went well, but for the most part, everyone's getting points around, especially because at this point of the schedule, there's a lot of interconference games. Everyone's playing within each other. You get three-point games that are you know, proven to be a little bit of a problem here for the Flames, especially when you have 13 overtime losses. It's daunting. Yeah. But we've been shocked before. Yeah, and this is the issue, too. Um, We've seen it all season, and they did it on the broadcast on Sunday night. Uh, The games that the Flames have lost this season to teams that they need to beat if they want to be a playoff team. And uh, let's play this game with you and Patrick. Sure. Um, Win or not win the remaining schedule here, 15 games. All right. Um, In Arizona against the Coyotes. Win. Patrick? Well, yeah, it's a win. Um, Thursday in Vegas in a place they've never won. OT loss. Ooh. Patrick? They're going to win in T-Mobile on Thursday. Ooh, wow. Calling it. Saturday home to the Stars. Saturday night home game. Stars are playing good. I think they're going to lose that one. Okay. 
OT loss. Wow, look at you. So optimistic. We're uh, at four m- points each, though, here. Monday at the Kings. Win. Front Last back-to-back of the season. And then in Anaheim against the Ducks the next night. Win. Gotta be a win. Mm. And then they play three straight home games. Golden Knights, Sharks, Kings. Two or three. Okay. You agree with that, Matty? Then on the road in Vancouver, and then talk about... I. These two games in early April will be the season, in my opinion. <laughs> right here. They've lost the both Home to the Ducks. Home to the Blackhawks. Those are absolute must wins. Mm-hmm. And then the biggest game of the season, potentially, April 5th the in Winnipeg. Is they don't have Patrick Max Kane. Domi. And Patrick what? Kane. No, I don't care about Patrick okay. Kane. Max Domi was the one that torched he the was Flames. Um, and then, they, uh, then that enormous game, the in Winnipeg against the Jets on April 5th. Then they're on the road in Vancouver, and then they wrap up the season at home against the Preds and Sharks. So it's it's a pretty easy schedule here. The thing is, they got to make home ice back to what it was last year. They've yeah. not been great on home ice. They've got more home games than the remainder of the way, I believe. I'm looking at the schedule. Look, yeah. I'm all on it here. They got more home games. Like, and they, the road games aren't tough. No, they get the Canucks twice, mm-hmm. both in Vancouver. Yep. They get the Sharks, who are terrible. Awful. They get the Ducks twice. They get the Hawks once. Like, it's a pretty easy schedule down the stretch here. I know I know. people are like, you're too optimistic. This is over. Like, is there 11 wins here? Maybe. I think that there could be. Like, the other thing here is that Jacob Markstrom has actually really turned his game around. And you mentioned there's not that many back-to-backs left. And the other part about Jacob Markstrom at this point in the year compared to last is that they had to ride him hard all year long. He's gone through stretches this season where he played so bad that he ended up sitting on the bench for multiple games. He's not going to be nearly as taxed for this playoff run as he was for last year's run at the end of the season and uh, and then eventual playoff run. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. You look at it. It could be done, but then you look at it and you say, listen, this is a group that lost to the Ducks over the course of the weekend in a game where they didn't play overly well. They boot off the ice again. It was back-to-back home games. That, that felt happened. like the worst loss of the season on Friday night. It was a kick of the pills, that's for sure, as our old friend Brent Cron used to say. And then, so, and then they dominate the Senators on the Sunday night. I mean, dominate Ottawa. Yeah. All the way through. Even though they had that crazy, wacky, backland miscommunication goal with Markstrom, they overcame that mistake and still destroyed the Senators who were coming in on a heater, although they were on the back end of a back-to-back after losing to the Canucks in Vancouver. But yeah, you just if, look at the yeah, schedule. Look at, like, minus that gaffe, Markstrom's looking at two shutouts in his last three starts. Yeah. After not having any in the first 65 games of the season. Do you think the guys on the team are aware that they've never won in Vegas, nor do they care? Like, are guys like Backlund and Tanev like and Lindholm only- going, oh, we've never won here. Do you think that even crosses their mind? Because I don't think it does. It's only been seven games. Yeah. It's not like... It wasn't like the Anaheim streak. That stretched like a decade. Yeah. Like, this is a team that's been in the league for five seasons. They didn't play each other for one of them because of the pandemic. The other one was shortened because of the pandemic. Like, they've only played seven times. The They can't win in Vegas thing. Like, yes, they haven't won in Vegas yet, but... You haven't really played there that often. And this yeah. particular group is completely different. So, you know, maybe if you're Michael Backlund, you're saying it would be nice to get a win in Vegas. Mm-hmm. It's starting to feel a little bit like Anaheim. But I don't know if you're 
at that point yet. Like that streak ran like that was like twenty games. Like it was yeah. it was disgusting. It was terrible. Man, you just get through this little stretch where you got to play the Golden Knights, the Stars, the Kings on the road, and then the Golden Knights at home. And then it kind of really eases up. March 31st at Vancouver, then home to the Ducks, home to the Hawks, at Winnipeg, at Vancouver, home to the Predators, home to the Sharks. There's a lot of winnable games here the last seven games of the season. Oh, 100%. A ton of points to potentially to be had. Do the Flames need help? They absolutely need help. But if you're within four points of the Jets heading into that April 5th game, you could potentially overtake them. I think I think that's something reasonable. Yeah, they're six points behind the Jets right now, and we don't know what the status of Josh Morrissey is, and if he's out long term, terrible for Winnipeg, fist pump for Calgary Flames fans. Yeah, and but here- if you're within four points of the Jets heading into that April fifth game, there's a realistic chance they can get into the playoffs here. Now the problem is if that- they, of course, win that game in Winnipeg. Yeah, and if I'm not mistaken, the Flames do not have the tiebreaker in that. Match up with the Winnipeg. No, they lose in the regulation. Wins. Yeah, the ROW, the regulation and overtime win. Sure. So um, there is that. So that makes the gap a little bit more. Yeah. But even then, I, and I, even I think your they, mindset is right where it needs to be. Like I was just after the Jets get through Carolina and Boston, they do have New Jersey as well. Tough. They, the and and Colorado to close the season, but the Flames and Jets have a very similar schedule with teams. Yeah, and and it could come down to that April fifth game in Winnipeg, which potentially could decide the season for the Flames. Because even if you're if you're four points heading into that game, you lose that game, you're done. You're down six with three to go, you're done. Mm-hmm. You can't even you can't even catch them because the, you got the ROW. But if they're within again, I don't think that's too much to ask. Four points heading into that Jets game. Heaven forbid it's two points and then you can tie them after that game and then here we go with three games to go. You got to win out and hope the Jets can lay an egg somewhere. But yeah, again, this is doable after this little difficult stretch here you have. It doesn't start tonight. Tonight's a must win in Arizona. There's no question. You have to beat the Coyotes tonight in Tempe. Then you have that tough game Thursday night in Vegas against the Golden Knights, which Mm -hmm. I'm assuming will be a Jacob Markstrom start. I don't even think we see... Do we see Vladar the rest of the season here? If they're eliminated, yes. If they're not... If they clinch, like Even on the back-to-back... Do you get to see Vladar? Like it, the like the Tuesday, the Ducks, and then uh, where's that game I saw? They play uh, Anaheim, back, LA. It's like yeah, short Anaheim, LA. And that's why I said yes. I was like, that's that's a really easy back to back. If it's an easy night one, I can see Marks from literally getting the rest of the fifteen games. But LA is a tough team. They're starting to play well too. And here's another little caveat I threw. Okay, I found. Uh, so the Flames end their season on April twelfth. The Jets end their season on April thirteenth. So the Jets will have one game left, mm. so it could come down to that Winnipeg in Colorado Ooh. to that watch. That game in Colorado is and how which, Winnipeg ends their season. And maybe the Avs have something to play for in that game, too. Mm-hmm. You just hope they do. Maybe they're trying to get some guys into a game before uh, they get like their the captain, Like their captain, like Arturi <laughs> Lekkanen. Yeah. But uh, I don't even know if they could have the cap. Again, do la- the this, isn't, thing, but... this isn't a murderer's row of schedule here. You're playing a lot of the... the the, the dregs of the Western Conference. The Jets going and getting back-to-back wins down in Florida certainly didn't help the case. No. And you're hoping to see something big out of the Carolina Hurricanes as they start life without Andre Svechnikov, and then maybe the Bruins can come in and do yourself do you a favor when they go into Winnipeg. But, yeah, it's... You compare and contrast the schedules. 
There's things to like, like like we're saying, man. There's and, a glimmer of hope here. And we we talked about it. Patrick and I talked about it yesterday. Um, Kadri and Huberto need to elevate their games like they did Sunday night to carry this team here because we know the Backlund line's been great. Lou talked about it yesterday on the show. Probably the best he's ever seen Michael Backlund play. He's been fantastic this season. Mm-hmm. That line continues to carry this team, but they need a lot more from Kadri and Huberto here down the stretch. This is the reason why they were brought in. This is the reason why they got paid all that money. It's time to produce down the stretch here. That needs to be Calgary's what? 1A, 1B line with the backland line. And like Lindholm was great too in that game against the Senators. That line was clicking too. I quite but, like Dubé playing with that group yeah, as and, well instead of Nick Ritchie. And, and again, Dewar was a big difference on the fourth line. And there was talk on the broadcast that maybe he was banged up. That's why he missed the two games. Yeah, and not so too. much base performance-based when he got the healthy scratch. Which makes so, sense. And he was a difference maker on that fourth line as well, adding that speed and size that he does to this lineup. But they also need Pelche to score. Like, again, everyone loves Jacob Pelche. Everyone loves his energy. But he's he needs to produce. I talked about it yesterday. Majapani needs to start to score some goals here because now all of a sudden goaltending has been the Achilles heel for this, the entire season up until this month. And now Jacob Markstrom has snapped back into being Jacob Markstrom. You got to start filling in that here a little bit. The guy needs some run support here and I think they can get hot again. I'm trying to be optimistic, positive Pete. Do the percentages are they against the flames? They absolutely are Mm -hmm. like it is a uphill battle here, but if you actually look at the schedule, there is, cause for optimism. But if they go into Arizona tonight in Tempe and lose that game against the Coyotes, oh boy. Like, here's the thing. By this time next week, this could be a completely different story. The Jets will have played the Hurricanes and the Bruins, and their strength of schedule will be almost equal to that of the Calgary Flames at that point. Yeah. And the Flames will have had their week of action, and they'll have played a bunch of teams that aren't necessarily in a playoff spot. And if you win all of them and the Jets lose both of them, sure. Then we're really having this conversation next week. Right now, it's a little bit of a glimmer. It's a fade in the distance, but it's there. Mm -hmm. But then again, there's the other flip side where, you know, things go awry in Arizona and things go proper in Carolina for the Jets. And by this time next week, then all of a sudden we're saying, how far low can you get in the standings? Uh, It all starts tonight. Uh, Must, must, must win tonight at the mullet uh, against uh, the Coyotes. Um, Vimelka. Put some coffee on, baby. 8 p.m. Yep. start. Yep. That uh, Michelli kid's good. Uh, Got to shut him down. Michelli. Yeah. Uh, Clayton Keller's quietly had a great season. Nick yep. Schmaltz is banged up, so that's good for that's, the Flames tonight. Yeah, him but and Clayton Ke- Keller's him been Keller really good. Are yeah. A real pair. Yeah. And, and Clayton by the way, Keller's been outstanding of late, too. Uh, Chickren looks really good for the Senators, by the way. Even that game on Sunday night, watching it, uh, he looks really Man, good. Okay. He's a good player. Straight ahead, uh, more on the Flames. Justin Bourne, NHL on Sportsnet. Real Kipper and Bourne is going to join us. Julian McKenzie, our man J-Mac at 8 o'clock, covers the Flames for the Athletic. We're taking your text messages. Some of these are already gold. Uh, Connor McDavid loves Nickelback like I love blank. Connor McDavid loves Nickelback. Like I love blank 960, 960. It's all straight ahead. Nickelback. It's the big show. <laughs> Rusick and Rose. Sports at 960, the fan. Your number one spot for Flames coverage can be found on Flames Talk with me, Pat Steinberg. Exclusive interviews, trusted insiders, and the latest news. Listen live weekday afternoons at 4 or stream the Flames Talk podcast on demand. The big show, Rusick and Rose. Sportsnet 960, the fan live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems. Downtown studio at the top of the hour, our man, Julian McKenzie, covers the Flames for the Athletic. Will join us. Tee up the Flames and Coyotes tonight from Tempe. Some beauties on the text line already. Um, Connor McDavid 
inducted uh, Nickelback into the Canadian Rock Hall of Fame last night. Huge fan. Yeah, huge fan. And uh, we're asking you on the text line, 960-960, Connor McDavid loves Nickelback like I love blank. Connor McDavid loves Nickelback like I love blank. 960-960, we'll uh, do some of those texts at 830. But right now, he is the co-host of Real Kipper and Born over on Sportsnet 590 The Fan. He's also from the NHL on Sportsnet, on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. We say good morning to our pal, Justin Bourne. Bourne, how are you? Is is he there? J- Justin, are you alive? Are you safe? I am here. I'm here. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. Were you thinking about uh, yeah. what you love? Uh, like Connor McDavid loves Nickelback, and isn't that no, the most was... Connor McDavid thing that he's a Nickelback fan? Yeah, I was genuinely. I was on mute, and I was questioning you. That wait, Connor McDavid loves Nickelback, and as soon as it came out of my mouth, I was like, "Of course, Connor McDavid loves Nickelback." <laughs> <laughs> Obviously does. Yeah. <laughs> what else would it be? Right? Yeah, exactly. I know. <laughs> Not I mean, surprising. Honest to God, if we sat here all day and said, like, pick the band that he is most likely to love, we'd hit it. Yeah. Nickelback. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> It'd be absolutely Nickelback. You can hear it. Riveting. Uh, he absolutely loves uh, Nickelback. Uh, I mentioned um, Flames have 15 games left in the season. Justin, I think 11 wins is kind of the sweet spot where they'd have a legitimate chance at getting to the Stanley Cup playoffs. What you've seen from this team this season and with how easy the schedule is, do you even think that's close to a reality or a possibility here in Calgary? <sighs> you know, it's uh, they played 67 games. I've got them at 28 regulation and overtime wins. You need 11 in the next uh, 15 games. Yeah. You know, eh. You know, it's possible. I'm not going to rule it out because I think all year they have underachieved their true talent. No team has done less with more this season than the Flames. So, as we've seen the Flames do in past seasons, they seem to be able to kind of awaken from a slumber and be wonderful. They've been top of the conference, bottom of the division, top of the division. They're all over the place. I feel like they can find it more than I feel like other teams with less Mm. talent can find it. But I still think, given what we've seen from them, it's pretty unlikely. Um, you think it's more likely that maybe the Jets come back a little bit here, especially with the status of Josh Morrissey? Yeah, that, uh, that is a significant uh, blow for them, and they're already a team that's been reeling. They've, I mean, they've got a history of doing this, of coming out gangbusters and kind of flailing. Um, you know, it may be their savings grace that, you know, no one behind them catches fire, whether it be Nashville or Calgary. But if Calgary does get hot, you know, they win 10, they win nine and a half, something like that. You know, can the, can the Jets lose enough to open the door? I think there is that possibility. I am more of a, a Jets skeptic um, than I was like many people, I don't know, five months ago. We all look at the Western Conference playoff picture and basically every team that's in a playoff spot or in the race has played 67 games except for the Avalanche and the Predators. Now the Predators are interesting, but when you have those three extra games played and you look at the remaining amount of time left in the regular season, do you see that as a benefit to Nashville or seeing a more compressed schedule? Could that be more of a hindrance to them? You know, it's one of those things where, you know, we look at these points that teams can get. Okay, they're three games back. You know, okay, there's a potential six points. If they get that six points, they're right there. But it's like they've got a 570 winning percentage. So you can't assume they're going to get six points. They're probably going to get four, you know, maybe three three or four. So they're still going to be trailing. I do think it is a hindrance at the end to have that compact schedule. 
you know, you're already running uh, the tank pretty dry by the end of the season and to have to make up ground at that time of year after you traded away and you kind of morally know your team is not trying to go for it this year, it just doesn't feel like there's going to be a sincere concerning push coming from the Preds. Justin, what have you made of Michael Backlund's season this year? Well, I mean, he continues to do a lot of the things that, you know, teams want. He's an excellent two-way guy. He can provide a little bit of spark. You know, I, I think at times, does it leave you wanting more? Yes. Um, you know, but to me, he's one of the guys that he he helps the Flames. He's a he's a good hockey player. I enjoy watching him play. Uh, is there a sense in Calgary that he's been a, a bit of a disappointment? No, I think that there's a sense in Calgary that he's having perhaps one of his best years. And, and yeah. as... One of those third-line centers has kind of been one of the more consistent guys when, you know, there's been so much talk about Caudry and Huberdo and even Lindholm maybe at some points, and of course Jacob Markstrom maybe not being up to their potential, but the constant along the whole way has always been Michael Backlund. Yeah, no, I'm happy to hear that because he, he is a guy that when you look at the Flames and you go, you know, who are the people who, um, you know, are, are part of the problem and who's a part of the solution? Mm. Uh, you know, Backlund's certainly a part of the solution to me. Not to mention, you know, he's got, you know, 15 goals or, or thereabouts this year. I'm not sure exactly what it is. But last I checked, his shooting percentage was like six-something. You know, like he's probably played better than his actual statistics uh, represent this year. And, I mean, he plays a certain type of way that a guy like Daryl Sutter's going to like. So maybe he gets a little more opportunity or you know, whatever it may be, but you know, on a team with a lot of guys who don't have like this awesome plus minus, I think he's first on the team. I think he's leading the team plus minus. Like he's been a really effective all around, all around guy. I can see why Sutter likes him the way he does. Justin Bourne from Real Kipper and Bourne over on Sportsnet 590, the fan NHL on Sportsnet joining us here on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline, big show, Russick and Rose. Um, Justin, when it comes to Jonathan Huberto, now all of a sudden he's way more comfortable on the left side, he's talked about how he's a lot more comfortable. His agent always mixes things up, gets into the discussion. It's getting a little tiresome already, and he hasn't even started his monster extension with the Flames that kicks in next season. Are you tired a little bit of the excuse train around Jonathan Huberto? Yes. You know why? Because I don't get it now. Like, you don't okay. have to make excuses for a guy, right? Yeah. Like, he's he's got the big contract coming up. Like, I just don't feel like we need... He needs any justification from his agent. He needs any whatever. Like, the year is not going how we wanted it to go. I'm sure he's disappointed. There's a lot of pressure coming in. It's a brand-new coach, a very unique, different style of coach, you know, in a different part of the world, in a different division, the whole thing. So instead of being like, ah, it's not going how I wanted to go, stick with it, you know, pedal down, um, yeah, yeah, you don't want to hear about all these different things, you know, different reasons why it's happening. Just keep playing. He's a good player. I don't know. I, I just don't think that there needs to be, you need to hear his name other than him saying, you know, he wants more. He's doing his best, you know, goal and assist against Ottawa last game, maybe starting to find it a little bit. I'm sure the flames would appreciate that. How about Troy Stetcher? What, what, what was kind of your idea of what he was as a player prior to the trade deadline and, and what he can bring to a team that's in a race? You know, I think what I remember him best as is a guy that the Canucks analytics people really liked. You know, like I remember looking at his numbers and being like, boy, they, they think there's something more here. He drives plays, an effective contributor. And if you look at the points he put up when he was in Vancouver, you know, it was a little bit more consistent. He's, you know, he had 25 points, 20 points here and there. And 
Now that offensive side of his game seems to have dried up entirely. So if he can at least be a solid, reliable guy who can drive possession the first, you know, the right way, I think he's a guy you think can help you out having him on the, the third pair or second pair even or whatever. But I didn't look at him and go, boy, that's a guy that's going to put your team over the top or anything like that. Um, Justin, want to switch gears, and I'm seeing it on social media a lot, and it doesn't make any sense to me how um, people are thinking like, yeah, Austin Matthews for the Selkie. And uh, I get a lot of Pavel Datsuk vibes when it comes to Matthews and his ability to strip the puck from opponents. And obviously his 200-foot game has improved. But I don't know about you, Justin, but you can't win the Selkie if you don't kill penalties. Like, what nonsense is this? Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's like if you're the best defensive forward in the game, when they want you there in that defensive situation, I think the only argument you can make is, you know, they don't want him getting hit with hockey pucks. You know, he's just a okay, unique... But, but uh, Marner character. kills penalties. Yeah, he does, but he also doesn't block a ton of shots, I don't think. You know, Matthews is leading the NHL in blocked shots. I don't know if you want to hand him another, you know, 40 blocked shots over the course of the season, if that's great. You know, he's out there, five-on-six five situations, they will use him. But, you know, the reality is, <clears throat> this is a case of statistics uh, kind of skewing the reality, because Matthews is not a defensive-focused guy who you want out there matching up, you want out there in those pivotal moments. There are other guys, be it David Camp, or other guys that the Leafs would turn to first. And so with the Selkie Trophy, I don't think we're trying to find the guy with the highest counting totals in takeaways or block shots. What the best defensive guy who, like, sacrifices his offensive game to focus on defending? You know, we're even here, I was a on our show yesterday, Kipper was like, did Marner win the Selkie trophy last night with a takeaway? And I was like, what? You know, like it's not, they don't, those guys are good defensive players. They're excellent 200 foot forwards. And the Leafs are lucky to have them. They don't come to mind when I think of the best defensive players in the NHL, the way that Patrice Bergeron might, or, you know, one of those guys who's a lifelong committed to defense first type of forward. Um, as, as the talk in Toronto been around how Matthew's goal production is down a little bit based on the fact that he hasn't played with Marner the entire season. Is that a talking point? Not, not really. No, like, but should I, it be? It's a, yeah. If it definitely comes up, you know, like Marner is the fixer for whoever you put him with. He, you know, they, they grab an extra few goals, but the reality is Marner started on his line for the least the first, I don't know what it was, 10, 12, 15 games. And Matthews had like three goals. So, you know, they split him up and Matthews kind of continued to continue to produce at a similar rate to that. You know, it got better for him a little bit. But there definitely is a point where if he were playing with Marner, there's no doubt he'd have an extra five or ten. You know, it's just a matter of how do you optimize your lineup? Like John Tavares is a guy who is a good finisher around the net when he can get touches there. No one can get you touches like Marner. So it kind of makes Tavares more effective, and then you hope Matthews can drive and carry a line. The guy who just won the hard trophy at 26 years old should be able to do that. So mm-hmm. I get it from a Leafs team perspective, um, but there's no doubt on the individual level it hasn't helped Matthews being without Marner. Um, Justin, are you getting sucked in uh, by the Pittsburgh Penguins like I am a little bit? Like, I don't know, maybe, maybe one more run here, Justin. They've been really hot here down the stretch. Maybe if they can get some sort of goaltending I kind of like, you know, Granlin. Everybody crapped all over him, but he's an effective player. Uh, Sid and Malkin look good. Raquel's been a nice little addition to them. Are you buying a little bit of the Pittsburgh Penguins? Maybe they can upset somebody in the East here if they're a wild card team. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm buying them enough that there was a moment where it was like, are they going to make the playoffs? Like, they're definitely going to make the playoffs, and they're definitely a team that can uh, shake things up. You know, I thought they they tried to do some things at the deadline, which, you know, I kind of liked that they were being aggressive about. So, you know, here's the thing with the, the East now and the wild card spots, whatever. If you finish in that first wild card spot, it's like Daryl Sutter said about Colorado last year, it's a waste of eight days. You draw the Bruins, good luck, good night. You know, even if you lose in five or whatever, you're losing the Bruins. You get that second wild card spot, you get Carolina or the Devils. Come on, that's anyone's hockey game. Like, Carolina's good, but Svechnikov just tore his ACL. He's out for the year. Like, the Devils, you know, are young. The core of that team is inexperienced. I wouldn't shock me to see a Penguins team or even an Islanders team make things hard on the Devils. So, second wildcard spot is a bigger race than we're discussing right now. Uh, Justin Bourne, co-host of Real Kipper and Bourne in the NHL on Sportsnet. Uh, Bourne, always great stuff. Let's do it again soon, pal. Thanks for this. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it, guys. Uh, there he is on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using using the same secret recipe since 1975. Dining at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. Takeout or delivery at 403-248-3344. Um, it is the big show, Russick and Rose, live from Doug Lacey's downtown basement systems <laughs> studio. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Try again. Um, it is the big show with Russell and Rose live from Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio, serving Calgary and Southern Alberta since 1992. You just tried Everything to say the whole team. liner at once. Yeah, it was just like oh, <laughs> <Every> basement <word. laughs> bah, systems. Bah. Such a professional I am. Um, it's okay. More, it's a new sponsor. Yeah, more on the flames. We've been here forever. Yeah, more on the flames at the top of the hour uh-huh. um, with our man Julian McKenzie uh, yep. from the Athletic. But I teased it earlier. I wanted to talk about balls. Oh. And um, breaking news this morning. What's that? So um, the USGA oh. officially announces um, plan to roll back the golf ball. Feedback from golf stakeholders uh, will be gathered until August 14th of this year. And uh, the changes are slated for January 1st, 2026. So this is what the USGA and the RNA, the Royal and Ancient, over on the other side of the pond want to happen for major tournaments like the open, like the masters because uh, golf equipment and the golf ball are just technologies taking over the game and uh-huh. the distances, the courses can't keep up with the technology. There are constantly new courses being made that have to take up way more land than they ever used to because yeah. nowadays a professional course needs to be like 7,000 yards right. long to be considered for the guys on tour just because right. they absolutely rip the ball. So now um, the USGA and the RNA want to standardize a ball to use that goes 20 yards less Less. off the tee. They want to nerf the golf ball. Yeah. Now That's a gamer term for you, Alex. That one was for you. Appreciate it. uh, So this is interesting for many reasons. So Ian Leggett won on the PGA Tour. His sure. only win was when Canada won the gold medal in 02 in Salt Lake. <laughs> kind of got lost in the shuffle. But Lego told me something that I will never forget. He goes, George, I can go hit balls with your clubs. Just don't change my ball. Mm. I know how it reacts. I know how it should react. Those guys are just obsessed with their golf ball. For many years, it was always rumored that that Nike golf ball Tiger Woods was hitting was actually a Bridgestone with a Nike swoosh on it because he did not want to change his golf ball because he is a Bridgestone guy through and through Tiger Woods. Golf ball is the number one piece of equipment for these pros. 
And now you're going to bring a standardized ball for these major championships. So all the same guys are using all the same ball at the Masters. That potentially could happen here because it doesn't go as far. Well, and this is one of those things that there's going to be like a question and answer period that continues throughout the rest of the summer. It's not going to be implemented until I think 2026 was the date I saw yeah. in the story. that January I 1st, 2026. So a ways away. But yeah, it, it still kind of brings up the point. Like, And reading some of the comments on this, there's a very wide range of opinions on how you could make golf harder for the pros. Because as much as we love watching a golf tournament and watching these guys go out and just shoot the lights out, it isn't as fun when there's a jammed leaderboard and everybody's at minus 25 by Sunday. I yeah. find that when it's nice, like you're, you know, you're getting down yeah. to your, your dozen, that type of thing. I can enjoy that when... These guys look human for points of the day. Sure, but I also tune in to watch professional golf to see guys do things that the average person cannot do. Yes. Like when you see guys like Rory rip it like 340 yards off the tee, mm. that's cool to watch. Yes. And some of these guys are are known for their distance off the tee. And now if you're kind of neutering that ability to fire the golf ball that far, like is it that entertaining. Do you want to see Rory McIlroy hit like a 295 yard drive? Like something that maybe one of your buddies can hit it that far on the course. Like I just, and how is that going to work with manufacturers too? So they all have to make the same ball. It's going to be one standardized not, ball that, that they, they have to use at the masters. That they so wouldn't how we, sell, but again, back they wouldn't to, sell to anybody, right? Who would buy it? Exactly. But back to what I just said, Lego told me, and it's burned into my memory, these guys have been playing the same ball for years and years and years mm-hmm. and know how they react. So then you have to use this this standardized ball at the Masters, so it's a Masters ball you have to use. Mm-hmm. Like, Does that just open up the, the field for everybody? And then like a, a, a Danny Willett type will come in and win the green jacket because he's adapted to hitting that golf ball more. And obviously practice, these guys will be practicing with these balls a lot more. I just think it's... Is it necessary? Maybe. I don't know. And then they and then eventually, so if you're a weekend hacker, technology's good. It makes golf a lot more fun, especially for older golfers who can't hit it as far as they used to, and they take advantage of the technology and makes the game more enjoyable. But if you're a young kid in your twenties and you can go out there and smash it, okay, yeah, maybe the golf ball you could use that one too. I don't know how it's gonna affect amateur golfing. I don't know if it should. But should these guys use a ball that's going to neuter them this much? I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know how this affects PGA versus live. Mm-hmm. So maybe at the majors or some of these big time of elevated events, like let's say at Bay Hill, which is like the hardest course outside of the four majors, then they got to use this standardized ball. And on live, it's a free for all. No, no, no. On live, we're going to pay you more money. You can hit your own golf ball. You can use a wiffle ball if you yeah, want. Maybe that could draw more guys to live. I just don't know how the players are going to react to this. And I don't even know if it's good for the game ultimately. Yeah, like, but clearly the USGA and the RNA think it is, and it's a necessary change. Yeah, to me, it it felt like I was reading a story, and this is like a make work project. I was like, do we really have a, a huge problem here? And then you kind of look into it a little bit more, and and the 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 point that was brought up is that anytime that you want to build a golf course, you need way more land now, and I think that you know the. There's not, um, how do I put this? 
there is not a high interest from the general public to spend a whole ton of money on buying up land that is going to be used for golf when I think that there's other type of crisis as far as land, housing, that type of thing. Mm -hmm. So, and man, there's so much other stuff that could go into this. To me, I read it and I thought, like, why? Like, what's the point? Like, what are we doing? Do we need to do this? Are the players going to like it? Are any of the manufacturers going to like it? Or is this just straight up a thing that USGA feels or is for the better? You talk about manufacturers, Maddie. I wonder, like, is it going to be one company, one ball? Yeah, like Titleist does. Yeah, it. like who gets the contract? Right. Like Titleist, Callaway, Bridgestone. Like Bridgestone. And then what um, are you doing to every other bi- uh, every other ball that l- also gets featured in these tournaments whenever they're played by other players? Yeah. Like, <laughs> but it feels again, like no, you're, you're going to op- do it for you're everything, up right? Okay. Such a can of worms. No, here. but I understand this, but. Okay, so if you go back to watch the highlights of when Tiger Woods had his incredible 2000 year where he was winning everything, like if you went out there and tried to hit the clubs Tiger was hitting back in 2000, you'd be hacking it around the golf course and struggling big time. You'd be like, why am I hitting this archaic driver Mm -hmm. that I can't even hit? Okay, so that's fine. They want to deaden the ball a little bit. Um, So what's golf technology going to look like in five, 10 years from now? You're going to be able to hit the ball further with more spin. True, although right? people do believe that you know once the human body taps out at club head speed, there's only a certain amount no, that but, tech can do. Okay, no, I no, I get it, mm-hmm. but I don't even think we're we're close to that club sure. head speed versus technology in golf. Mm. So obviously they see this on the horizon. That obviously they 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 look at these prototypes and whatever's coming in five ten years from now with these drivers and these irons. Clearly, this is something that they think will be an issue with golf courses, right? It It's one of those things Cause, that... Because as you brought up at the beginning, the technology is way ahead of the golf courses. Well, like, r- right now it is, especially well, all these courses are so old. All yeah, the nice no, yeah, ones that everyone's playing at. And there's and, for good reason. And we're getting a lot of texts uh, on the text line, which is great because they're right. Make the rough more penal if you miss the fairway. Mm-hmm. If it just rolls out, like out of the and like when when it's like four five inches of rough and it's very gnarly. Yeah, obviously if you miss the fairway, it's way more penal. It's a lot more difficult, and you can even harden up the green so much more. They had that at the players until it poured rain, and then these guys like Tom Hoagie yeah. are firing darts at the pins because it's so ridiculously soft, and these guys are so ridiculously good. But yeah, I just it probably isn't the worst idea because they know what's on the horizon when it comes to technology. Well, like. There's a reason that MLB players still use wood bats. Yeah. Can you imagine what they'd be able to do if... Games would never end if they if, used aluminum. If they had aluminum bats. Yeah. It would look like that Canada... Throwing them over the other side of the cities. Yeah. Like, literally. Yeah. Imagine, like, Vladdy with an aluminum bat. Yeah, he'd be shooting them he, into... Yeah, right into he would kill people. Detroit. That Rogers Center short porch, man. Yeah, it'll be he, killer. He would kill people with the with the, with with the ball. The line drives that he fires. Yeah. yeah it would. Yeah, it'd be murderous. <laughs> yeah. So interesting thing to keep your eye on on golf balls. And real quick on Tom Hoagie, um, the guy won $1.5 million and posted a pick. He flew coach home after winning $1.5 million. Well, I'll tell you. Maybe treat yourself a little bit. I sure as hell would not have No, me neither. I I would have upgraded my seat. I would not have packed into the (laughs) Yeah, no chance. (laughs) You kidding me? It would have been private jet home, and I don't even care about the emissions. Like, if I won $1.5 million, I probably would have been sitting next to a guy who takes off his shoes and is eating, like, an onion sandwich. 
Yeah. Like I need to upgrade my seat if I win 1.5 mil. Yeah, no, take me to the private terminal. Yeah, and he owns the uh he owns the course record now, a 62. Yeah, that's at TPC Sawgrass. Uh kind of pretty a big good. deal. Yeah. Uh, pretty good. Um straight ahead, our man J Mac, Julian McKenzie covers the flames for the athletic. Will join us straight ahead. Tee up this flames and coyotes, and we're gonna hear this a lot with 15 games to go. A must win in the desert. We'll talk to Ben Nicholson Smith. And at 8 30, we'll do some of your text messages. Some of these are really good. Connor McDavid loves nickelback like I love blank. Connor McDavid loves Nickelback like I love blank. It's the big show. Russick and Rose, Sportsnet 960, The Fan.